Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we go deep into mining news, hot topics, and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International and Mining International Executive, a leading global mining recruitment and headhunting agency. Hi, mining community, and welcome back to another episode of the Dig Dig the Mining Podcast. And today's guest is Ralph Sheeran, who's the CEO and president of Outerlay Mining Corp, who are a Canadian public listed mining company on both the TSX and the Frankfurt Stock Exchange. Um, they operate in Mexico, where they engage in exploration, development, and operation of polymetallate uh, mineral resources projects. Um, Ralph is a geologist by background and has been with the company for an incredible 36 years. Wow. Um, so he's on the podcast today to talk about the company, um, entrepreneurship in the industry and growth areas uh, within within mining. So that's welcome, Ralph, to the uh, podcast. How are you doing, Ralph? I'm doing fine. Thank you. And thank you for the opportunity to, to tell our story. Yeah, appreciate your time. And uh, yeah, as I mentioned, you've been with the company for 36 years. So I wanted to give us a, a background about yourself. Um, for those that, that don't know you, obviously, we've got listeners from all over the world, um, quite a few Canadians. But those that don't know you, um, I wonder if you can just give us an overview, obviously, of your career. Obviously, predominantly, it has been with um, Outerlay. So, yeah, I hand it over to you. Sure. Well, um, you know, I'm a professional geologist, an exploration geologist by trade. I started uh, working for major public companies after graduating from university in the early 80s and then uh, worked all across Canada in various projects in Yukon, northern British Columbia, Quebec, Ontario, even in Nova Scotia. And then uh, came back to Vancouver somewhere around 85, I guess, um, laid off and started uh, to work in the exploration services industry, working or or consulting for various mining companies. And then in 1987, a colleague of mine, Paul Chung, and I decided we should venture into the public markets. And we formed this company in a different name and a different structure uh, back then. And we listed it in 1987. So 1987 onward, we explored a couple of projects. You know, it's mining, it's... I, you know, they're very risky and some projects work out, many others don't. In fact, one in a thousand actually gets to be a mine. Um, so we explored a few projects, didn't have any real joy. And then in 1995, I started to get very interested in Mexico as being an underexplored country. And they just opened up their uh, ownership, the, the, the law for, I just recognize it as a project that could make a very good mine for a public company. And so we started, we made the acquisition, started some exploration on it. Um, we, only, we only explored a small amount when we first uh, acquired it because gold fell down to the $280 an ounce level and we never had access to capital. And in this, you know, this junior public market, you're raising money out of the markets to do your exploration work. So we weren't able to raise any money for a while. We decided that we better get into some oil and gas. We raised some money, drilled a couple of wells in oil and gas, hit a gas well. Um, unfortunately, it didn't have a lot of uh, power to produce for very long. We were pretty excited when we hit, but it petered out fairly quickly. And then in 2004, the industry started to recover 
And we got reactivated on Tawaweto that got the project going in exploration. We spent about between 2004 and 2009, about $18 million on exploration. And that's when we drilled the majority of the holes, developed the resource and the reserves came in later on, but the resources were there that you know, outlined a very good mineralized structure. And then we did a pre-feasibility study in 2017 um, showed very positive results, and we decided to go ahead and, and start to put this thing into production based on the pre-feasibility study. And really, that's where we are now. So we raised the money. We got some help from Trafigura, commodity broker, gave them offtake agreements on the project, and we started building the project. We had a few hiccups along the way, but you know, eventually we got this project almost ready to produce. We're literally several weeks away from getting the first ball mill up and running and starting to produce ore on a test basis. And then we hope to bring the second ball mill on within sometime in the second quarter of this year and have the project ready to produce at full capacity of 1,000 tons per day by mid this year. Um, and you know, So that's a, a real quick summary. Somewhere in between that in 2017, we acquired our zinc mine. That's the Campo Morado mine. It was a project that was had been built by a Canadian company called Farallon Mining. And then they uh, that project was picked up, or the company was picked up by Nearstar, the operating company Nearstar, who bought half a dozen mines from North America and South America, all zinc mines. Um, Nearstar paid about, a, I think it was like 410 million Canadian dollars for the friendly takeover. And they put a lot more money back into the project. Uh, acquired a streaming royalty from Silver Wheaton Minerals for $25 million. So Nearstar spent probably $500 million on this project. And then they bought all of these mines, including Camp Morado, half a dozen of them throughout North America and South America, at the top of the market, paid top dollar with them. And then it wasn't very long after that, zinc went down to the 80 cent level and it was extremely hard for them to make any money. And it was the end, the end of that Nearstar operating company. So they sold all their assets. We picked Campo Morado up for an acquisition price of $20 million. And there was over $500 million spent on that project. So, you know, we got a fire sale price, got all of the equipment, got all of the resources and reserves. And we put that project back in production in 2017, operated fairly successfully through 2018, 2019. Zinc prices went down again, had some problems. We had to put the project on care and maintenance for six months and we reactivated it in 2000 and we've been working steadily since then and, and are actually doing very well on the mine right now. We uh, cut down the, the operating costs to as low as we could. Metal prices have responded very well. So we're making good money. We're pulling in two to $3 million EBITDA monthly off of that project. And that has helped us, you know, actually helped us fund the construction of our Tawaweto Gold project as well. So, you know, I'm rambling on here. I mean, if you want have any, have any other questions, uh, you can interrupt me. Feel please, please feel free. Yeah, yeah, no worries. I will do. No, I was enjoying the uh, story and uh, um, and what, what what's happened with the company obviously since you uh, since you joined, which obviously has been quite a few years. So. Um, where do you see some of the, the project's growth over, the, obviously, the next few years? Um, obviously, looking at the, the gold and, and the sort of zinc projects. Yeah, they, so, you know, both of our projects have excellent exploration potential. Targets are all outlined. 
So for example, at Campo Morado, the zinc mine, um, there's a several ways we expect to increase our revenues there. Um, and even before we start our exploration on the targets that are generated, we're actually doing what I term a, a full court press on metallurgy. And we have, in, there was a, a study that was done by the previous owners on a forced oxidation and leaching of tailings to recover more gold and silver. So Campo Morado, it's a very, we have a lot of ore there. There's 20 years of mine life at, at about 2000 tons per day. Uh, the gold grades and the silver grades are fairly high for that style of a, pro a project. It's a volcanogenic massive sulfide deposit. We get about 1.7 grams per ton gold and 123 grams per ton silver. So those are high precious metals. Unfortunately, this project is what's termed refractory uh, precious metals. So we can't get very good recoveries through traditional flotation methods. So we get about, um, I think it's about 15 to 20% recoveries in gold. We get 40 to 50% recoveries in silver. Now this testing that was conducted by the previous owner brought those recoveries up to 60% like 60 60 for gold recoveries and 80% for silver recoveries. So that's the potential that we see to increase our precious metal recoveries. And in fact, if we're successful on this, we could turn that mine into a silver mine because the silver grade is quite high. So this test, this process is called, um, there's two processes that they tested were successful. One was the Leachox process, a group out of the UK has developed that. And then there's the Albion process, which is a, a Glencore technology. Both have gone through first phase testing and both quite successful. So we, have, we're going to be testing that very shortly on through second phase. But in the meantime, we brought some pilot plants onto Campo Morado to not only try to improve precious metals, but also potentially improve base metal recoveries by going to some technology that works very well for micro fine ground ore. At Campo Morado, the grind levels are because we're using traditional flotation cells, grinding is about 20 to 30 microns. And Campo Morado, to really get effective, best recoveries, you need to grind microfine grind. So we need to get down to 10 to, you know, under 15 group microns, 10 would be ideal. And we've just recently been able to do that because we've been waiting for some grinding media that got tied up and not able to be delivered in the, in the problems around for shipping around the world. But anyways, we just got that material mid this month and we've actually been able to reduce our grind size down to the levels where these pilot plant, pneumatic flotation pilot plants work and we're starting to see some results. So we still have another, probably another month of testing there. And then we'll have one or two more months of testing to for the forced oxidation and leaching. And we hope to be able to deliver a much better recovery of both base metals and precious metals at Campo Morado, which will obviously increase our, our cash flows. And if that is successful, the, the forced oxidation and leaching, then we hope to be able to reprocess this existing tailings facility that is full, uh, but has a lot of metal in it because it wasn't recovered before. So there's another potential revenue source there. So we'll work through that, we'll see what we can do. But then if we look at exploration potential, starting first at Campo Morado, the previous owners outlined uh, about 15 targets on a property scale basis that are outside of the main underground workings. These are very high level targets, they're ready to drill. All we need to do is locate them and drill them and any one of those could 
be a successful um, outline of new ore for the project. And then if you go in more locally into the underground mining workings, the previous owners had, did, had conducted a lot of borehole geophysics and outlined some very good anomalies to depth underneath the existing ore bodies and actually drilled a few holes into some of them, intersecting good thick sections of high-grade massive sulfides. So those all need to be followed up with drilling. Uh, we believe Campo Morado will, can, can bring in new reserves, new resources um, over time, over a couple of years' time, once we have enough money to start drilling and then really test them, which could justify a doubling of the size of that mine. So that's a, a goal we'd like to work towards. We switch over to Tawaweto. You know, Tawaweto is a, a district-scale epithermal system, and our company controls about 83% of the prospective terrain in that mineralized district. We've only explored along one major structure within a small area of that, that overall concession holdings, and that's where we have outlined our resources and reserves. Those that one major structure is still open to depth, still open along strike. We've, we've traced it over about 2.8 kilometers now and have drilled it in different areas over that 2.8 kilometers. Um, so the exploration potential on that project is extremely good. And I think that with just with some underground drilling, some drifting, some underground drilling, we could add another third to the resources by getting the drilling going again. And we hope to be able to justify an expansion of the mine from 1,000, from the 1,000 tons per day we're, we're building and bringing online now to 2,000 tons per day in a couple of years and maybe to 3,000 tons a day in three to five years' time. And all that takes is exploration success, which will come easy on that project. It's the, the targets are there. We, we understand the mineralization. And we simply haven't been able to drill more because of lack of access to capital in order to grow that resource. And so that, that should come very easy. Our plan is get it in production, get the cash flows moving. Now, this project, once it's in full production, we expect to be generating 15 to $20 million free cash flow on an annual basis. So those are good numbers. And, and all our debt, we have about a $38 million worth of debt. We expect to be able to pay that back in under three years' time just from production at Tabuweto. So that doesn't bring into account any revenue or, or free cash flow we're making at Campo Morado. So maybe we can do this in a, in a couple of years' time, year and a half, two years' time, with both projects running optimally. Um, obviously, you mentioned with the zinc project, obviously, a lot of recoveries there. And you mentioned a, a UK-based company that assisted you with that. Um, who were they? And what, I suppose, what impact have they had on the work that they've done to obviously increase the profitability of that mine? Sure. The, the group was called the Bialguin Mineral Services. Um, they're, they're based out of the UK. And we hired a pilot. Yeah, I, I've, I've, done a, I've done a podcast with those guys. So, yeah, oh, good. Okay, I, yeah. I know who they are. Yeah. So, anyways, we had a pilot plant on site from them. Unfortunately, it didn't perform the way we had hoped it would. Uh, but we weren't able to get down to the grind size we wanted to. So, I don't think we effectively tested that. Uh, pilot plant very well. Um, now, if you look at the forced oxidation and leaching, they had that leachox technology, it's patented technology, and that performed very well with the previous owners of the mine. That's where they brought the potential recovery of gold up to 60%, the potential recovery up of silver up to 80%. So those are like a 400% increase on gold from what we're currently getting. 
the 200% increase on silver from what we're currently getting. So, you know, that was a successful technology and we are busy working away. Uh, we're, tr we're, we're actually trying to produce a pyrite concentrate in the lab. We've been successful. And that pyrite concentrate is what we intend to put out to the lead, to the forced oxidation of leaching. Because the majority of the precious metals are locked up in the pyrite and, and Campo Morado is 30 to 40% uh, iron and that's all in pyrite. So a lot of uh, the metal is locked up in the pyrite. So if we can reduce the mass of our tailings by concentrating the pyrite, we'll get most of the gold in that pyrite. And then it'll be a lower capital cost to, to put in the equipment to force oxidize and as well as to leach. So that, that's kind of the plan there. Um, I've lost my train of thought. You were, what was your other question? Just, uh, uh, I just wondered how, obviously, with the, the, the recoveries and the work that they've done, yeah. how much did that affect your, obviously, profitability? Well, it's still in testing phase. So okay. you know, the, the idea is to complete this testing phase. And this is a, it's a long process because, you know, metallurgical testing, is, it takes a long time. You test it, you adjust, you test again and again and again and again, and you're continually adjusting to get to the, to the optimal re metallurgical recoveries. So, you know, we're close now. We, the the, the uh, Immoflot flotation plant, which was the Melbourne Mineral Service, as I said, we didn't see the results we would have liked to. Uh, but we don't think we were down to the grind size we needed to be. We now have a Jamison cell, which is a, a com competitor, a competing pneumatic flotation cell to the um, to the Immoflot one, and Jamison is the Glencore guy. So that's been on site for a while, and we're starting to see some good results because we have been able to get the grind size down to where these pneumatic flotations are successful and they're designed to operate. Uh, so we still got another month of testing with that one, and then we, we should know what our pathway is. In the meantime, we'll start getting the pyrite concentrate out to these groups to do the forced oxidation and leaching. And once we have that completed, you know, then probably by mid this year, we should know which way we want to go. And then we'll try to start implementing, uh, figure out what our capital costs are to in, install all of this equipment and, and increase our precious metal recoveries. The pneumatic flotation should also increase our base metal recoveries. And that's you know, a, a good thing for us to go after because we will start to produce a copper concentrate at Campo Morado sometime probably Q2 of this year. And so once that happens, we've got another revenue source coming in as well. Um, obviously you've got a wealth of experience in the industry. Um, what's your opinion on the state of the base and precious metals markets now? Um, and I suppose over the coming years? Well, the metal, base metal markets have been very robust over the past six months to a year. Um, they've really increased. We're getting a fairly, very good numbers. In fact, if you look at most mining, base metal mining companies, they're making very good profits these days. And, and you know, it's kind of a mystery to me why their stocks aren't performing as well as one would expect with these types of profits. It seems to me the market has been more focused on the, you know, the NTFs and the tech sector that they have on mining, and yet mining companies are making great money these days. So the market now for base metals is, is great. We're, you know, it's, it's at reasonably high levels, and it's projected for the zinc market, at least for the next uh, year to year and a half to be reasonably good, robust. Um, and then the base like copper market itself is quite a long-term projected to be long-term highs. Just the demand of the electrification, demand for copper of the electrification of the, of the world 
is so high that copper is to be a commodity where they're expecting long-term uh, perform, good performance in the copper sector. So all in all, I think the base metals are, are pretty good for the next period of time. And gold, the, the precious metal sector, has also been quite good and, and is getting better due to the, well, just look what's happened in, in Ukraine in the last couple of days. I mean, the gold has been spiking for that, but it's also you know, a hedge against inflation and the monetary problems throughout the world that governments are creating by uh, printing money hand over fist. So I think that the mining sector is in a very good position to capitalize on all of these events over the over the coming years. Um, what kind of advice? Obviously, you've you've been like I said, been in the industry for a while, and you seem to have that entrepreneur entrepreneurial spirit. Um, what kind of advice would you give sort of young entrepreneurs um, who aspire to venture into sort of mining and the commodity sector? You know, mining's a, a, a difficult business. Exploration is also very risky, but my feeling is, is there hasn't been a lot of people, young people, going into the mining and exploration sector. So I think there's be some some very good opportunities for pe- young people to who like the outdoors or like the the mining sector to get involved in the sector, get into the universities, get your education, and then get get out there and start working. I think there's going to be uh, not enough people around who are trained in the industry. So I think there's some very good opportunities for people that that have a affinity for that sector. Yeah, and obviously I'm I'm in the recruiting industry, so I do see um, the future of the industry struggling to find um, technical, very technical, and obviously senior people. Um, I'm starting to see that now, and I think that will increase. Um, as we move through the um, the, life, the the mining life cycle, um, I suppose moving on from the question I just asked, what about what advice would you give people that are already in the industry, but that I suppose would have that tendency to have that entrepreneur flair uh, about them, but haven't made that step forward? I mean, what kind of steps would you say would you suggest that they start making? to get in a position where they can then show their entrepreneurial flair um, to then move on and potentially become a an entrepreneur in the mining industry? Well, that's a good question. I mean, um, you know, the mining industry relies heavily on public markets. It's almost, it's almost like two businesses in one. We're, we're, you know, as a, as a public company, we're operating uh, the public side of things where we're trying to get uh, – investors interested in our stock, trying to raise money. And then you've got the actual working side of it from the mining sector. So there's almost two businesses in one. So I think there's opportunities for people on both of those sections. If you're more inclined to be someone who who likes to work with the public and you could get into the public company side of things, if you're more technical and and you like the hands-on operations, you jump in the operations side of things. Um, How to get there you know, that's a it's a good question. I guess first off, if you've got the training and you have the the resume for it, you know, put yourself into some headhunter groups to see what is out there to find work. Because there's a lot of the mining companies rely on headhunter groups for staffing up their operations. So you know, that's a good place to start. I guess um, anyone who's already in the industry already knows quite a bit of this and knows, you know, where 
certain companies are working and who knows how to contact them. So, you know, I, I'm not exactly sure if that answers your question, but it's probably the, the best I can do at the moment. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fine. Um, mm. I just wondered if you could uh, elaborate on terms of, I suppose, certain skill sets that someone should have being an entrepreneur, maybe someone that's uh, people that are already in the industry, whether they're from a geology background, whether they're from a mine engineering background, um, what would you say the, the typical skill sets that someone would have to then move into maybe becoming a bit more of an entrepreneur within the mining industry and take certain projects on um, to then help grow and develop those projects? Well, you know, mining side of things along with the public company sector is a very diversified business. You need a lot of different people. So not one, one person is not going to fit all of those uh, job descriptions. You're going to need to have a surround yourself with good people. So if you're going to start a little company and you get a project to start exploring on, you need to have good people with you to to carry the load. No one person can handle it all. Um, so I guess just just be aggressive. Get out there, find out if you want to find a project, acquire a project, try to go public. You know, there's all various ways of doing that. But you do need uh, a good group of people around you. So assemble your group and get in there, find your project, and get on with it. I guess. Yeah. Um, what makes uh, our today an attractive uh, investment, um, and how does it stand out compared to some other other projects out there in obviously similar jurisdictions and similar uh, commodities? Well, we are what I would term, and you know, any CEO is going to say this: the company's undervalued. But you know, in our case, we have one ratio. We kind of show people it's it's an enterprise value over EBITDA that gives a ratio, and then we compare that to our peers. So, for example, for in Mexico, we have a number of companies, public companies that are in the polymetallic sector. If you look at that enterprise value over EBITDA, Altele is about one point four. And the, the norm or the average is 14. So that gives a lot of growth potential to our stock price. And just, just being able to realize a lot of that is going to increase our stock price, increase our value, uh, market cap value. And then if you, again, I lost my train of thought, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I, I then, okay, so yes. So that, that's based on one mine in operation. The Campo Morado right now. We're bringing our second mine in operation imminently, like almost any time. Sorry about that. That's right. Um, our second mine coming online, you know, sometime in March, half capacity, full capacity by mid-year. That should double our revenues. So, you know, that's even going to increase our potential value. So there's still, we're very undervalued um, off from the market perspective. Uh, we're cash flowing, we're cash flow positive. We don't necessarily need to go to the market to raise money. And we can survive on the cash flows from Campo Morado, and then we can easily survive uh, once the Tawato cash flows come on stream. So over the past year, we've consistently made $2 million plus EBITDA monthly from Campo Morado. So we're, you know, we're in a good situation. We've got a good group of operations team in Mexico. We've got an excellent board of directors to mitigate risk. And, uh, you know, I think that we are so undervalued that we're, we would be what you would term a screaming buy at this stage. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds encouraging. And um, as a sort of conclusion, what's the sort of short and medium term outlook for Outerlay? Um, and 
where do you, I suppose, where do you see yourself in sort of 18 months time? Well, short term, short to midterm is, as I say, get these the next project up and running, double our revenues. Um, we should see a, a very good uh, valuation in the company after that. So, you know, I think that we should be growing, <clears throat> excuse me, growing to a mid-tier producer towards the end of this year. Um, and if you look at mid-tier producers, they're, you know, their their market caps are are generally three hundred million to a billion dollar market cap. So you know this is where I think we can grow this company to in very short order once our Tawaweto project comes on stream. Okay, Ralph, really appreciate your time and uh, give us an update of um, obviously of the company and what, what you guys are doing um, in with, with obviously with your gold and zinc project. So really interesting to hear your story and obviously got a wealth of experience. Um, in the industry. If our audience wants to reach out to you, if they've got any questions, um, how can they go about doing that? And are you across any social media platforms at all? Uh, we're we're all over social media these days. <laughs> so yeah, you just do a hashtag, Altele, you'll, you'll certainly find us where we are. I'm doing lots of uh, these webinars, podcasts, et cetera. So um, certainly people can get a lot more information on us just by searching in the web. Um, get to, you know anyone wants to reach out to us just to you know send emails out to myself or my team you know my you can go to our website obviously altalaymining.com it's pretty simple my email address would be ralph at altalaymining.com and we'd be happy to you know answer anyone's questions or provide more information yeah that's great to hear and obviously i wish you well for uh this coming year and if you obviously want to come back on the podcast and give us an update later this year or next year, if you um, have any sort of obviously major news feed, then happy to obviously to come on the podcast. That's great, Rob. Well, thank you for the, for the invite for that. We'll take you up on it. We, yeah. The more we get our, our story out there, the better it is for our company and our shareholders. Yes, certainly. And those that are listening, I uh, hope you enjoyed the episode. Please reach out to Ralph if you've got any questions. Um, I'll obviously on there on their progress um, or any other questions that you may have for, for him or the company, um, obviously reach, feel free to reach out to him. Um, I hope you enjoyed listening. Appreciate your continued support. Um, please share this episode amongst um, others in the industry, uh, no matter where you are in the world. Um, I'm sure they'll be interested in hearing uh, Ralph's story, um, especially being with the company for 36 years. So um, he's certainly got a lot of experience and, um, obviously developed developed the company where they are today so like I said appreciate your continued support and until next time happy mining thank you for listening remember to reach out to Rob via the show notes and be sure to subscribe and leave a review until next time happy mining helping each other to improve the mining industry